right, so uh, here we go. We are in the Gospel of Mark, continuing there, and I'm going to do a, a two-part sermon this week, and I started to do it just, just one, um, just one sermon on this passage, but I, I just couldn't do it, because I just couldn't give a fair treatment to this idea of angels, demons, the myths that surround the ideas of these, and the realities, okay? Um, and, and so here, here's the story. Uh, it, you remember we left off in Mark 4.35. It said, on that day, the day that he taught about the seeds and the soil, they got into the boat. This was a day that Peter will never forget that he's telling John Mark about as he writes this down. And they, on that day, they got on the boat and they came into the storm. We saw that last week. And they come to the other side of the sea. We see here in chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea the next morning to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. So he had supernatural strength. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Now, what's the idea that he has here about tormenting me? Over and over, we, we see Jesus having these interactions with demons throughout the book of Mark. Um, Mark 1.24, we talked about Jesus casting out demons. In Mark 1.32, there's more casting out of multiple demons. In Mark chapter 3, verses 11, he's casting out demons. In Mark chapter 3.23, they accuse Jesus of being empowered by a demon or the devil himself. And in Mark chapter 4.15, it talks more about him casting out evil spirits. We see it over and over and over again. All this talk in the book of Mark about casting out, Jesus encountering real-life demons. Now, um, a lot of times in the American church, we don't talk a lot about demons. We, we talk a lot about angels. You know, if, if, you if you read the Gospels, Jesus actually, watch this, talks about angels 18 times in the Gospels. Talks about angels 18 times. He talks about demons, or is cast, the Gospels talk about demons almost twice as much, 32 times. Now I want you to think about that. How often when you're watching Oprah, all right? Hopefully you're not watching Oprah anymore, all right? But how often when you're watching Oprah or talk shows or religious spiritual shows on TV, do you see I mean, we even have old, uh, old drama, like touched by an angel, right? How often do you see the inverse of that, touched by a demon in a TV show? Like, who tunes in to watch that show every week? How often do we in the church talk about demons? And within the American church, here's the reality of it. We don't talk about it that much. But I can promise you this, as someone who's been in several dozens of countries around the world, 
all around the world, they talk about demons. It's something they take seriously. They're very real. What we see here in the Gospel of Mark is over and over, Jesus is talking about demons. The Romans believed in demons. They had gods that they worshipped and uh, for different areas. We're going to talk about the god Pluto, which is the cousin or the, or the brother to Zeus or Jupiter. Pluto, we named the planet. His Greek name is Hades, the god of the underworld. And for us to understand that, now I want you to follow me here, and you're going to need your notebooks today. For us to understand when the book of Mark talks about demons, it really is going to help us if we understand the audience to which the book of Mark was written. I'm going to say that again. Whenever you're reading your Bible, to understand it properly, you have to understand the context into which it was written, the audience to whom it was written. Because it was written to them to understand something. So whenever he writes about demons, he, he's writing to a Roman audience who already has preconceptions about what demons do, how they respond. So we're, we're going to examine a little bit this morning just what the Romans believed about evil spirits and the underworld. Okay, So uh, first of all, in the underworld, you had this idea of if you died and you were good, you went to the gates of Hades, okay? The gates of Hades, were, were, it's an understanding, it's the portal you pass through when you go from this life to the next. In, in fact, uh, when, when we think about uh, different religions throughout the world, almost all of them have an afterlife idea. And to me, it's one of the greatest proofs that there is an, an ontological argument for the idea of, of demons and angels in the afterlife because wherever you go around the world, you see indigenous cultures believe in that. Before the gospel even gets there, there's this underlying idea of this truth that there is an afterlife and that there are supernatural spirits, okay? And so this underworld, when you get to the, to the gates of Hades, you pass through and you have to go over Old 70s rock band. Anybody know the name of the 70s rock band named after the river? Yeah, there you go. Now you're showing your, showing your age, right? So the, you have to go through the river Styx to cross through the other side. And when you get to the other side, you come through the gates of Hades, all right? You cross the river Styx. When you get to the other side, you are judged by three gods, little g gods. And depending on how you lived your life, you would be sent to one of seven locations, Okay. Now, you could kind of argue, that's kind of a, a loose description, okay, that five of the areas that you go to are somewhat similar to the Catholic idea of purgatory, okay? But I'm not even going to focus on those. I'm going to talk about the two extremes. If you lived a really good life, and you're judged by the three gods to have lived a really good life, okay, you go to the land of joy or the fields of gladness. How many of you have seen the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe? Have you seen that? As he's dying, he starts, they, they, uh, 
Ridley Scott shows images of him dreaming of wheat fields. Do you remember that as he's passing away? And as he's looking out into the fields, the wheat fields, he sees his wife and his son. It's very small in this picture. But it's it's this idea of him walking through the wheat fields and kind of just filling the grain as he's walking through those. Those are known, I mean, that wasn't a mistake. It wasn't just, oh, it's a nice idea. That was the Roman idea of the afterlife is that you will enter into fields of gladness with your loved ones, okay? But if you were in the absolute worst class of human beings, after you passed through the gates of Hades, you went to a place called Tartarus. It is a dark pit where people are placed in chains and tortured for what they've done in life. And depending on how they take that torture determines whether or not they will stay in Tartarus forever. Tartarus is an awful place. It's just the idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Greek word Tartarus. Okay? Every culture in the world has some idea of a Tartarus, a place where you go to be punished for the things that you've done in this life. Uh, nearly every culture has a worldwide flood story. The idea of demons and demons and supernatural beings. We, we even celebrate that today in our movies. They make millions and millions of dollars. I mean, first of all, you have Wonder Woman, but her real name is Princess what? Diana, named after a Greek goddess, okay? And then you have Thor, who's the name of the god of thunder, the Nordic god of thunder. I mean, the, we have these idea of supernatural beings who have supernatural powers, and in this case, like they're part human, they're they're either goddess or, or a god, little g god, or they have these supernatural beings because they're half god, half man. And what the Bible says is that these little g gods really aren't gods, and I'm not saying these movies are wicked. I watch these with my kids, all right. So don't get bent out of shape, all right. But in Deuteronomy 32, this is what Moses writes for the people that actually worship these little g-gods. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known. Okay? What, what he's explaining here is all these other gods that the people worship around the world, the people they pray to, the people they give to, some of them the people they would sacrifice their children to, they weren't actually gods. The Roman Greco gods, the ancient Sumerian gods, the Egyptian gods that Moses is writing about here, he says they're not actually gods. They're demons. He's not saying they're make-believe demons. They really are demons that control the religious system of the world. People are worshiping these fallen angels. And what the authors of scriptures are going to do, now watch this. This is, this is where we're going to get heavy today, all right? This, I, I got to give you the stuff here before next week I can hit you with the stuff there, okay? This is what we're going to hit today. What the authors of scripture do, what John Mark is going to do is say to a Roman audience, what Moses does is say to an ancient Mideast audience, All these little g-gods you're worshiping are actually demons, and now I'm going to explain it to you. They're saying what the reality of the situation is. 
I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you where you'll get your myths and fables, but the reality behind those, because we in America today, we say, oh, man, that's all make-believe, like Wonder Woman and Thor. And what Moses would say to us, what Paul would say to us, what Peter would say to us, what Jesus would say to us is all those other religions, they're not make-believe. They're real. They're just demonic. We don't like, that, that doesn't play well in a pluralistic society. We don't like to talk about that. We don't want to make judgments about another religion. But let me tell you what, the writers of scriptures do. The scriptures do. So while there is some truth to these other religions, what I want to do today is kind of take the mask off some of these other ideas uh, that, that the world has placed around us about the role of angels and demons and share with you today how, focusing especially how we get our biblical ideas of who demons are and what they do. All right? You ready to go on this? This We're just mentally, you just got to engage on this. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, from the beginning, God saw at the end of day 6, God saw that everything that he had made, now I'm just going to pause. Did God make angels or were they preexistent? Did they always exist? You guys are looking at me. Did he make everything? Yes, right? So when God sees everything that he made, in Genesis chapter 1, everything that he has made at this point, what do we say? And behold, everything he had made at this point was very good. At the end of every day, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But at the end of the sixth day, when he looks back and say, okay, I've created all that I'm going to create. I looked at it, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and it was the sixth day. And so everything's going well. This is what we read from Job 38, okay? God is telling Job this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Like, Job, you weren't even born yet. Did you know Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible? It was written before Genesis, okay? And the story of Job, okay? It's back around, just right after the flood, Job was probably around. It says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Like Job's questioning God about how he's running things. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do what Job did? You're like, God, what are you doing here? You ever look at what's going on in the world around us like it's total chaos right now? You ever look at mosquitoes and just say, God, why did you make those? Like what are, what are, what are the purpose of mosquitoes? I don't get it, Lord, okay? And so you ask God these questions and he's like, uh, uh, Brent, were you there when I created the earth? Have you, are you preexistent? Do you have all power? Do you have all knowledge? What, why are you questioning me? Okay. He said, were you there when the morning stars, and over and over in the scriptures, when you see this idea of morning stars, it's a reference to angels. When, when the morning stars, the, the angels that worship God, who lead God's worship, the morning stars, okay, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, some of your Bibles... If you have Job 38 open, it doesn't say literally what the Hebrew says, which is the sons of God. It just translates it for you to angels, okay? But in the Bible, whenever you see the, the phrase, Old Testament, sons of God, in the plural, okay, that is a reference to angels, sons of God. Some of your Bibles will say, just translate it for you, angels. But literally in Hebrew, what it says, the sons of God. So this is what it's saying. At the beginning, when I'm doing all my creative acts, I'm, I'm going through 
day one, two, three, four, five, six. The angels were there and got to see most of that. And all the sons of God, all the angels were shouting for joy. Now, what percentage, when God was creating the heavens and earth, what percentage of the angels were shouting for joy? The answer to that is what? All, 100%, right? So at this point, there were no bad angels. They were all good at this point in creation. When God saw all, everything that he created, okay, did God create Satan? The answer to that's what? Yes. Every demon that's out there, did God create them? When nobody else created them, it was God, all right? They're just fallen angels. We're going to read about that in a moment. At the point of creation, at the end of day six, all the angels were good. During the creation, all the angels, the morning stars, the worship leaders in heaven, okay, that, that sing together, okay, all of them are worshiping God and shouting for joy at how good God's creation is. But somewhere between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis chapter 3, there was a falling out in heaven. There was a serpent there. You know this story. It was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Again, this is one of the things that God had made. And later we see that the serpent is the devil. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I mean... You ever read this passage and just Paul, I mean, you've heard it so many times since you were kids, but you do, do you ever read this passage like the first time through, try to look at it in a fresh way and think to yourself, okay, what kind of world did Adam and Eve live in where serpents could come up to you and talk and you would stay and have a conversation with them? You ever think like, like that's just a little weird, is it not? Like, is it Dr. Doolittle? What is going on? Like, what kind of world is this? that the serpent comes up and has the ability to talk. Now, a lot of times the serpent, this word for serpent can be not just a snake, but a, this idea of a dragon. And you know what? Again, watch this. This is why the Bible addresses these things. And just about every culture in the world, guess what they believe used to exist before a great flood that they knew about? Dragons. They're in everywhere. So this is this idea that's wrapped up in this verse, okay? Now, some of you are thinking, man, this is far out. What kind of church have I visited today, okay? This is kind of crazy. This is the Bible. I'll come back to that in a moment. You're going to see where I'm going with this, okay? So somewhere between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3, there was a falling out in heaven between the angels, between the devil and his angels and God and his angels. Now, just a, I don't mean this is a rabbit trail, okay? This is more like a Bible study than a sermon. But I'm going to ask you this. Where in the Bible does it say, Genesis 1 and 2, that two days later this happened? After 2, after chapter 2, the creation of the world, right? We roll right into chapter 3 the next day. Is, is that how it starts? Now the next day? Does it say three years later? Here's what we don't know. A lot of times we just assume things. Here's what we do not know. And don't try to answer the don't try to answer questions that the Bible doesn't try to answer for you, okay? It's one of those things if God wanted you to know, he would have put it in the Bible. There's a lot of things in here, right? This is what I want you to understand. We have no idea how long Adam and Eve were on this earth before this happened. We have no idea 
Now, this, now some of you are not going to hear another word I say after I say what I'm about to say next. You're just going to be thinking on that the rest of the service, and you're going to have to go back and listen to the tape, all right? I just aged myself. I called it a tape, all right? Like child of the 80s. Like turn it over to side two, all right? So <laughs> the podcast, all right? So here we go. We have no idea how many children Adam and Eve had before this day happened. If you turn to Genesis chapter 4, it says, Now Eve became pregnant and had Cain. Does it say anywhere that Cain was her firstborn son? Does it say anywhere that Abel was her secondborn son? They might have been on earth for a thousand years. and there be, I'll throw it another way. During Genesis chapter 3, okay, when God pronounces the curse on Adam and Eve and the serpent, he says to Eve, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. You remember that? Middle of chapter 8, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. How can you increase pains of an event she hasn't had before? Like, she must have known what childbearing was, and before the fall, it must not have been so bad. And if childbearing isn't so bad, then man... I don't know, maybe our wives have a lot more kids. Maybe it's not such an inconvenience. Maybe there's not pain. Maybe you don't have, well, of course, back then, you don't have infant mortality rates because they all live. To throw it out again another way, right after Cain kills his brother Abel, he runs out and he finds someone. Who does he find? A wife. Where did she come from? If he was the firstborn? You follow what I'm saying? Did he just run out and find his little sister? No, I think you had a lot more time there between Genesis 2 and 3. Like I said, now some of you are just like, you're all over the place now. And you're not going to hear anything else I have to say, all right? Let's just rein it back in. I don't mean this to be rabbit trails. I just want you to think, man, there's a lot of things we assume to be true that the Scriptures don't say true. And there are a lot of things that we don't know that are true that the Scriptures say are. And what I'm going to focus on today is what the scriptures actually say about demons, okay? Now, somewhere between Genesis chapter 2 and 3, here's what happens. The prophet Isaiah gives us a shot back to the past in a vision he has. God is speaking. It says, how you were fallen from heaven, O day star. It's this idea of morning star. Remember what I said earlier? The morning stars among the angels, what was it their job to do? To praise the Lord, to lead worship. So here you had an angel who was a worship leader in heaven, son of the morning, okay, a morning star. He says, but now you are cut down to the pits of hell. Is that what Isaiah 14, 12 says? To the ground. What happened to Lucifer, the day star, the son of the morning, when he was cut down from heaven? The one who led all the people groups at one time, you were cut down to the ground. Literally, the word here is for the earth. Why? Because you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I mean, remember, the stars of God are the worship leaders, the angels of heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the, key word here, the most high. 
I'm going to be bigger. I'm going to be, it's going to become more about me and less about the other angels and even more about me than God himself. What's the word that you see repeated over and over throughout this? Ah, it's all about him. Okay, I'm going to set myself, I'm going to be the boss. Ezekiel says it this way, you were in Eden, the garden of God. You were an anointed guardian cherub. These are the leaders, the uh, like the general, the officers of the army. Whenever you see the word cherubim, that's just the plural in the Hebrew of cherub. You don't say cherubs in Hebrew. You would say the cherubim, okay? Im is the plural ending in Hebrew. He says, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stone of fire. You walked. That's around the throne of God, okay? You were blameless in your ways. Again, what we see, he was in the Garden of Eden, blameless. Everything was very good. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you. O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of the fire. What is he saying, man, you were one of the lead, this angel, Lucifer, was one of the lead angels in heaven. And he got around the nations, the the groups of angels, and he wanted them to follow him. And so God says, you know what, I'm going to cast you out. Why? Because your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I cast you to the, and literally the word here is earth, cast you out. Jesus even recalls this moment. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, said there was a time, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there, Jesus says, when he cast him out. John had this vision in Revelation chapter 4, I mean 12, verse 4. He says, his, the dragon, the serpent, Speaking of the devil, it swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Remember the word stars of heaven? Those are angels. And cast them to the, there it is, it's clear here, to the earth. There was a war war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fighting against, there it is, the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. So you had a certain group of angels, a third of the angels, myriads and myriads, Daniel describes them, 10,000 times 10,000. More angels than you could possibly count. A third of them rebelled against God. Two-thirds of them sided with Michael and God. They fought back, but the dragon was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Now, this makes it clear, chapter Genesis 3, that ancient serpent, just so there's no misunderstanding, who's called the devil, and Satan. Now we know for sure who that was in Genesis 3. John's telling us here in the book of Revelation. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So you have tens of thousands, literally millions of angels who were cast out of heaven somewhere between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3, okay? Millions cast down where? To the earth. And that, my friends, is where most of them reside to this day. 
Now, a lot of times we have, oh, aren't they all in hell? Well, some of them are, but you'll see what I mean by that in just a second. Okay, let's go back to Job, one of the, the earliest book that was written in the Bible. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, who are the sons of God? The angels, right? Came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now what Satan could have said here, well, roam in the earth because that's where you cast me. That's where I've been. I've been roaming around down there doing what I do because I'm not allowed here anymore. God led him up there to have a conversation. Now I'm not going to go into the story of Job, but I wanted you to see this idea of Satan and his angels roaming the earth. There are literally... 10,000 times 10,000 of them roaming the earth, okay? And then we see here in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, watch this. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, who are the sons of God? Say it again. Angels saw that the daughters of man, that's the descendants of Adam and Eve, their daughters, were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. That's, that's who the, the descendants, in Greco-Roman theology, they would call them demigods. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God, the angels, came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. And these offspring were the mighty men who were of old the men of renown. These were the, some of your Bibles translated as heroes. These are the superpowers. These are Superman. This is Hercules. That, that's who these people. Now, I'm going to go on one verse, and then i got to say something, a couple more verses, and then I'll say something really important to you. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and the intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is where we get the great ark story. Now watch. The art, the great flood story goes with this idea of demigods, these half man, half gods. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to share something with you now, and I don't mean to hit you with the right cross, but some of you are sitting here like, man, this is too much like supernatural fiction. If I want to go see a movie on Wonder Woman or whatever, I'll go there. I don't come to church to hear this stuff. Let me just share this with you. If having, watch this, if having a supernatural being somehow have miraculous relationship with a female human being seems crazy to you? What is our entire religion based on? I want to ask again. Have you ever heard the idea of a virgin birth? The Holy Spirit of God came upon Mary and impregnated her. They're like, oh, this, all of this other stuff. Why is it that we as American Christians, 
readily accept the idea of God's spirit coming upon Mary, impregnating her. We're okay with that idea, but when we come to Genesis 6, we say, well, that's just crazy stuff. Like, that could never happen. That's just like fiction. This is why I want you to understand, like, some people, man, when they hear the idea of virgin birth, Jesus being born of a virgin, last week when we were talking about, what was the main point of last week? Jesus is God. Let me tell you what, Romans would have had no problem with that idea. It's American Christians that fight back against that because we're taught that science is God. And if it can't be explained through science, it can't be explained. That's what Americans believe. But what the scriptures tell you tell, tell us is that there are these supernatural rules, and the reason they're called supernatural is because they're not natural. Do you get that? It can't be explained through science. It's not natural. It is miraculous. That's what miracles are. They defy, defy the rules of science. The resurrection itself defies the rules of science. Are you following me? And so what the Bible is communicating is there is this idea within it that these demons were around. They were interacting with some of them were taking female wives, human wives. They were having these offspring and they were entirely wicked. And every thought they had was only evil all the time. And God looked at it and says, it's a mess. But there's one guy whose line hasn't been infiltrated. That's why you have the genealogies from Adam down to Noah. There's one line that hasn't been infiltrated by demonic influence. It's still all human from Adam and Eve. And it's Noah. So God had favor on him and he wiped out the rest of the race. Now what did God do with these demons who exist eternally who had slept with these women. What did God do? Well, Peter explains it. It says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into, now in the Bible, if if you're in 2 Peter 2, your Bible will say hell right here. Do you know what Greek word that Peter uses here? Tartarus. He's using the word for hell where the worst people, the worst demons are in prison forever. But cast them into Tartarus. Why? Because Peter writing to Romans here, just like he was writing to Romans through John Mark, writing to Romans, he says, they're going to understand this idea of Tartarus, this place where evil people were punished. He took these fallen angels that had slept with women He cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Jude writes it this way, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the day of the great judgment. So it's not just in 2 Peter, it's also in the book of Jude. What's going to happen to them on that great day of judgment? Jesus says this, God will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for human beings, but it was prepared for the devil and his angels. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, says the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. They were brought out of Tartarus. They're judged. Now they're sent into the eternal lake of fire. 
and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is where they're cast, this idea of a real eternal hell. And remember last week I was talking about how people were polled about their beliefs? Like very few Americans believe in an eternal hell where people will be punished for their sins day and night forever. I don't know how the Bible could make it any more clear than what it does in this verse, that there is a real hell and it does last forever. But it wasn't created for human beings to be there. It's just where you end up if you remain in rebellion against God. Now, I said all that I've said for the last 30 minutes to take you back to Mark chapter 5 so you can understand this interaction Jesus has. Okay, This will be the springboard for what we do next week. So the disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. We've already read this. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an evil spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. What does it sound like? He has the powers of the what? The Nephilim. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, key phrase here, No one had the strength to subdue him. Just like back in the days of Noah, no one had the strength to do anything with these people who were possessed or part demon. Remember last week where we said Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm when Jesus did said, shh. And then he says to his disciples, watch, watch, watch. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why does he he say this? No one, watch, now I'm putting it all together. No one had the ability to control that demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. No one could do anything with him. But yet when he comes before Jesus, he falls at his feet and says, Jesus, Have you come to torment me? In other words, they're roaming the earth. He says, are you going to cast us into Tartarus? Please don't do that with us here. No one in the world had the ability to control him, but the moment Jesus stepped out of the boat, the demon fell at his feet. Jesus didn't even have to speak a word. The reason I'm putting this, this verse in here, like, Mark didn't write it in chapters. He flows right from this story that we did last week into this story about the demoniac. Here's the one takeaway for today. The demons know Jesus is in control. The question is, do you? The demons know Jesus is in control. The question is, do you? When we see, listen, I'm going to talk more about this. I'm really going to unpack it next week. What we're seeing in the world today is a globe that is being overrun by demonic power. What we're seeing in the United States today, and I want you to be able to identify it, recognize it, be able to respond to it is a world that is consumed 
by fear. And the demons are showing themselves now like no time in my lifetime. And the signs are all around us of demonic spiritual warfare among us. And so even people in the church are afraid right now. Even people of faith are saying, we are scared. People of faith, if this election doesn't come out the way it should, what's going to happen next? If I lose my job, what's going to happen next? If these vaccines aren't going to work, then what's going to happen next? If our economy fails, then what's going to happen next? And so demons are just firing all this fear at us all the time. And my one takeaway for you for today is this. The demons know Jesus is in control. Why don't you? What anxiety are you dealing with now? What fear of the future is going on right now? What is it that you're struggling with and wondering, is God really in control? Martin Luther writes one of my favorite hymns. He, w- he wasn't scared to talk about demons. I'm glad we sang the song today about demons run and flee. Like, we understand this concept as followers of Christ, biblical followers of Christ. This is what Martin Luther wrote. You're probably familiar with the hymn, but just focus on the words. Luther writes, a mighty fortress is our God. He's a bulwark never failing. If there's any time in church we need to be singing this hymn, it's right now. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel weight. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, then our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does that ask who that may be? Christ Jesus it is he, the Lord of the Sabbath his name, from age to age the same. And he must win this battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Men, are you encouraged by that? All Jesus has to do is step out of the boat and the demons will fall at his feet. Jesus is in control. Jesus is large and he's in charge. Not of just what's going on in the world around us, but I just wanted to remind you of this. He is large and in control of whatever is going on It's your job, in this country, in your family, in your health. Jesus is in control. 
And the devil has no power over you because Christ is our Lord. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I, uh, for our hearts, our emotions to respond the way they should, we must have right thinking. And the devil operates against us through our ignorance of the reality that you are in control. Somehow we have this idea that there's this wrestling match between Jesus and Lucifer. But Jesus can just speak one word and Satan must fall on his knees. May we be reminded this day that the God who created this universe is in control of our own little world. And we are safe and we are secure in the hands of the one and only almighty Jesus. May we rest in that peace. Shalom.